When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Episode 153 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Back at it again for another week talking Knicks, talking NBA draft, talking NBA finals. I'm actually watching the finals as I record this podcast. I just, you know, got to get to bed at some point on this <laughs> on this Thursday evening. So I'm actually, I've actually got the game on in the background while I record the podcast this week. Not going to do a live reaction to it, but hopefully by the end of the podcast, we'll get a final score for you. You'll know the result regardless uh, when you listen to it, but I'm trying to do my best to stay as current as possible. Game one's currently going on. It's going into the fourth quarter. As we speak, Warriors lead the Celtics 92 to 80 as we go into the fourth quarter so we'll keep an eye on that as this podcast is recorded again we always record on the thursday before the friday show that's what we're doing tonight we're doing this the recording later than normal just because i had some earlier work i had to take care of with my other broadcasting job so missed missed most of the first half to be honest with you with the uh, nba finals but catching the second half here and we will Touch on that towards the end of the show when the score goes final. We'll get to the end of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, We'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. We will get to plenty of draft news, rumors, and notes involving Orlando, involving the Knicks, and involving the Nets as well. But before we get to all of that, let's get to some Knicks news and some other news of note from around the league first and foremost, the Knicks hiring Rick Brunson as an assistant coach on the Knicks roster, on the Knicks coaching staff, I should say. 
it's an interesting one, uh, and a lot of people have brought it up because basically, you know, the Knicks have been linked with Jalen Brunson for about three or four months now, legitimately. I mean, there have been talks about it for the last year, but legitimately the Knicks have been linked for the last three months. And with this uh, with this report, some, some articles were calling it, quote-unquote, legal tampering. <laughs> um that the Knicks are trying to, you know, again, this is per SNYZ and Begley, uh, going to hire Jalen Brunson's father, Rick Brunson, to be an assistant on Tom Thibodeau's staff. And, uh, of course, these two work together, to be fair, on NBA staffs in Chicago and in Minnesota. So it's not totally, you know, with Jalen Brunson in mind. I think that should be noted. However, I'm sure there was, you know, there's a little cherry on top of that, and that's potentially having, you know, somebody in your corner, a pretty big somebody as well, player's dad, in your corner, and uh, potentially having that be a big part of hopefully getting Jalen Brunson to become a New York Nick. I think that is the whole plan for this. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if this if this works out, basically. That's really what the plan is um obviously the good news is it looks like it was it's not just a hire to get Jalen Brunson because you can't guarantee that in the NBA you could hire somebody's wife and it doesn't mean her husband and it doesn't mean that that significant other is going to come it's a business and everybody understands that that's involved just because a family member is on one team doesn't mean you're going to be on that team I mean I, I, I think immediately of the of the Morris brothers um, and other, you know, family things over the years, you know, it's not everybody can have a Ken Griffey Jr., Ken Griffey Sr., you know, reunion uh, all the time. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens. It's an interesting story because the Knicks are trying to get Jalen Brunson. Um, but really Rick Brunson's there to replace Kenny Payne, who is now going to be part of the Louisville men's basketball coaching roster. So that's really what the the move is first and foremost about um, the, other, the other thing is, you know, Jalen Brunson is already a CAA client. Leon Rose obviously was a big part of CAA before he became the Knicks president. So that's, you know, those are the links that could potentially help the Knicks to get Jalen Brunson. It would be a, a big deal if the Knicks could get him, I think. Um, and and I, to be fair, I, I don't think that this is solely about getting Jalen Brunson, this hiring of Rick Brunson. So that's a positive in my opinion, you know, because you can't put all your eggs in that basket. Knicks have done that too many times before. And essentially that's, you know, come back to bite them. The hope is that you bring in Jalen Brunson because then if you have Jalen Brunson on a good team, that looks like it's going places, is competing in the playoffs, things of that nature. That's the goal. You can then get a star. That's the whole point of this building process. So we'll see. Getting Jalen Brunson is the first step. If getting Rick Brunson on board helps, that's great. But Rick Brunson's got to be a good assistant coach regardless of whether or not the Knicks get Jalen Brunson. And I hope that that takes place. So we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. But for the time being, I do think that this is a move that the Knicks, you know, can be happy with regardless of how it all plays out. And uh, and we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what they end up doing. And uh, 
we'll see what the Brunson, you know, what Rick Brunson can do, and and if the Knicks can potentially add his son Jalen to a team that really needs to bounce back after a frustrating season. So we'll see. But, you know, we'll see how it all plays out as far as how Rick Brunson's going to do and whether or not this has any impact, and I really don't think it will, on whether or not the Knicks can get Jalen Brunson to join the team this offseason. And to be fair, especially if the Knicks are not going to address this in the draft, and that, again, that's no guarantee. It's no guarantee the Knicks are going to take a point guard in this upcoming draft in three weeks' time. It's no guarantee. So if the Knicks don't address it, this is a chance to address the issue of point guard on this team. And if they're going to do it, why not do it with a big acquisition of Jalen Brunson? We'll see. But again, one way or another, draft or free agency, I feel like I'm a beat. I'm, I, I not feel like I know I'm beating a dead horse here. But the Knicks need to address the point guard position if they're going to get better. That's the bottom line. We've seen them get exposed by not having a point guard on the team that can stay healthy. Derrick Rose has been great at times, but last year the injury bugaboo bit him big time. You know, Kemba Walker, latest example of a potentially big time move flopping in the end, right? So in the end, this has to be done. And I don't, again, I don't know if the Knicks are going to do it because we've been going on this for over 20 years and they still have not improved the the damn point guard position. They just haven't. They've had flashes in the pan at best over the last 20 to 25 years. I mean, we're literally going back to John Starks here when we're having this conversation. And frankly, with all due respect to John Starks, a legend, it's unbelievably ridiculous the Knicks have not been able to get a consistently good point guard in the last two decades it's absolutely a crime and one that needs to be atoned for either in the draft or in free agency frankly possibly both so it's one of those things where the Knicks have got to take somebody that can handle the basketball and potentially run an offense but they also should get somebody in like Jalen Brunson, who can do that as well and be a potential piece that can lead to bigger and better things down the road on the court and potentially in free agency or bring bring in another star to partner with him. That's got to be the plan. And I'm very anxious to see if the Knicks are going to do anything like that. I, I, I will say this before we move on off this topic feels like every time I bring this up or bring up something in this vein that the Knicks should do or should go after, you know, I always think, well, what do I know, right? And then the Knicks go and do something else. But what they're doing isn't good enough. I think that also should be (laughs) mentioned. Not saying that I'm right and the Knicks are wrong all the time or that you guys are wrong and the Knicks are right all the time or vice versa. But the Knicks have not been getting it right consistently for 20 years. They are coming off a season where they should have made the playoffs with the team that they had at their disposal, and they didn't even make the play-in. So clearly there are problems here that the Knicks need to address. We have to talk it through. It's what we're you know, tasked to do around here is to try and come up with solutions uh, in some way. Again, it's not our job to actually get them done, but we do talk about them. 
And I still don't. I still have no confidence that the Knicks are going to do what they need to do. You know, now I, I think that they will try. You know, I, I think that now that Leon Rose is there, Tibbs is there, you know, the Knicks have been able to show the last year plus that they can make moves. I mean, there's been years in the past. I mean, under Mike Woodson, I remember times early in, the, in our time doing this podcast where they're, uh, sorry, not Mike Woodson. Oh my gosh. David Fisdale, beg your pardon. David Fisdale, when, when he was in charge, Knicks couldn't do anything, it felt like. Knicks couldn't do anything to actually make moves to improve the roster. When Jeff Hornacek was the head coach, Jeff Hornacek, I should say, was the coach, it felt like the same thing. Knicks were in sand and just it couldn't, they couldn't actually improve the team. I mean, the last time we can argue that that actually happened consistently was when Mike Woodson was the head coach, and that team was a flash in the pan. So the bottom line is, what is this team going to do to bounce back from a disappointing season and get back to the playoffs? That's it. That's the bottom line. And for me, top thing on the list, top thing on the list, address the point guard position. There's no debate at all to me on this. Has to be the point guard position and you go from there. We'll wait and see, as we always do, uh, with bated breath, I should add, what the Knicks are going to do next. So, it's going to be very interesting. Tight game. Game one of the NBA Finals. It's now a three-point game with nine and a half to go in the fourth quarter. Boy, it is coming down to the wire. Golden State has home court in this series, and it is very much uh, being... Threatened, I guess, would be the best way of putting it. This game has been very, very tight. And uh, especially in the fourth, it is tightened up quite a bit. We'll get to the end of the Eastern Conference Finals in the postmortem on the Miami Heat season in just a second. But I do want to just talk about a little bit of draft news. We'll talk, I think, I kind of want to split this up. We'll talk a little bit of draft as well in the second half of the show, but I do also want to talk a little bit of draft in the first half, mostly surrounding Orlando and the fact that Orlando is, is potentially zeroing in on the top pick in the draft. And, you know, I, I kind of want to go into that before we really touch on much else uh, with the draft, because this is, this is a big, big deal. This is a rare draft in recent years where, the number one pick is is kind of up for grabs here. There's really no definitive top pick. And it's one of those things where you look around and you're thinking, could be four guys. Could be legitimately four different guys who get the, 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 the chance at the top spot, frankly. It's going to be fascinating to me how this pans out. Now, the reports coming out of Orlando are that Jabari Smith, the power forward, out of Auburn is likely going to be Orlando's choice with the top pick. It's he's now the betting favorite as well. I think he might have been for a couple of weeks now actually to be the top pick in the draft as well. And frankly, uh I can see why Jabari Smith I think is a surefire top 5 pick in the draft in my opinion. Um not necessarily he's the best fit for Orlando. 
I think Jaden Ivey's the best player in this draft, in my opinion. But with that being said, I think Jabari Smith, you could argue, is the best fit for what Orlando needs in the draft. So that's going to be very interesting to see how all of that plays out. So I'm fascinated to see what Orlando's going to do. I mean, there's four options, right? There's four options. They reportedly are going to go with Jabari Smith out of Auburn. It feels like that is becoming closer and closer to becoming a reality. But Chet Holmgren's on the board there as well. A guy that has a little bit more size, maybe a little bit slimmer. But I think that he would be an interesting option there as well. Could play the four and the five potentially, although he is seven feet tall. So he's more likely to play the five. Paolo Bancaro, very similar build to Jabari Smith. A little bit a little bit heavier, though. A little bit more muscle on him at 250, I believe he's listed at. Could play the four and the five as well, the Duke freshman. Although many have Houston being very close to uh, potentially taking him if he's available. I Like I said, I think Jaden Ivey's the best player in the draft. I'd argue he should be the top pick. But when you take Jalen Suggs the year before, it's hard to argue that you should then take Jaden Ivey in the next draft. I think that they're going to go with Jalen Suggs and see how that pans out. So we'll see. Listen, I think that Jabari Smith is a heck of a player. And really, honestly, when you look who's got the top four picks, right? Orlando, OKC, I believe then it's Houston, and then Sacramento at four. Any one of those four teams could use Jabari Smith. No question about that. And what's nice, actually, for those four teams is they got three guys who could play the four and the five in the top four or five picks. So that's a position all three of them need and all three could potentially address in the same draft. I mean, Keegan Murray is there as well. You know, and Benedict Matherin's more of a wing, but there's a lot of guys with some good size that can handle the basketball at the top of the draft. And it's going to be very intriguing to see how those teams handle it, in what order will they go? You know, Jaden Ivey will impact that because again, I think Jaden Ivey is the best player in the draft. So that could get a team to just say, you know what, we got to take this guy. He's, it's possible, but I, I do want to add that you know Paolo Bancaro is another where I just kind of go, it's tough to pass on him. Paolo Bancaro has got a lot of upside. And I could become the best player from this class as well. I mean, that's what we're kind of looking at right now. So it'll be fascinating. It'll be fascinating to see what Orlando does. It looks like it's going to be Jabari Smith, but for the time being, we'll have to see. By the way, Boston is pulling away uh, in game one. I think they're up 111-103, and Golden State just missed two huge free throws. Uh, Draymond Green missed both of them at the other end. So... It's looking more and more like Boston's going to take game one of this NBA Finals, which would be a big blow to Golden State. They would lose home court advantage in the series. So, see, still time left in the game. Still still some things to be worked out. We've seen crazier things happen in the NBA Finals. Looking at you, Cleveland. Looking at you. And uh, especially against Golden State. Again, Cleveland. Cleveland, looking at you. Uh, so we'll see. Let's see if Boston finishes it out. But that's what it's looking like. It's looking like it's going to be Boston one up in the series. Um, la- last note on the Smith thing. 
because I think this is also, uh, I think it's worthy of bringing up. Jabari Smith is a guy that I think needs to be, you know, with a couple of veterans on the staff. Now, I remember I said this a couple of years ago about Orlando, that Orlando is kind of a place where careers go to die. And that would be one thing I'd worry about in Orlando with Jabari Smith. Again, you can't control who gets the first pick, right? If you're, if you're a top pick, you can't control it, right? But I'd be worried a little bit if I'm Jabari Smith. Orlando's not the best place to develop. You got to be the finished product. So if you want to go down that road, I mean, that would, to me, right, that would mean Jaden Ivey, in my opinion. But you can argue Orlando's kind of set at that position, at the one and possibly even the two. So you look at that and you're kind of like, they're kind of, you kind of got to go with Jabari Smith for, for the need, but also because he could be the best player in the draft, you know. But I just look at Orlando's history of developing young players and it's terrible, to say the least. So you'd, you'd hope that they'd pick the finished product and I think either Bancaro or Ivy are the closest ones to that. I mean, if you're looking at the position that they might draft, it's Bancaro. I think there's no question about that. Paolo Bancaro is, I think, the, the the closest thing to the finished product. But again, if they like Jabari Smith, they're gonna they're gonna take him. There's there's really no question about that. It it really comes down to the brass, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's a 14-0 run, by the way, for Boston. They're now up 114 to 103. And a three-point Golden State lead is turned into an 11-point deficit. So it's it is an uphill climb. There's two and a half minutes left as I just turned it turned back to the TV here. Andrew Wiggins just bricked a three. It's not looking good for Golden State. They're going to need a miracle if they're going to win this game. So let's let's take the break here. I think this is a good time to take a breath. When we come back, we'll recap Boston's finishing off of Miami. Although it got a little got a little edgy at the end let's just say that and we'll look ahead to the rest of the nba finals it looks like boston will be up by one game to nothing and we'll talk more draft and we'll talk more nba offseason after this on the shock shock Knicks podcast on the posting and toasting podcast network Second half of the show, just had to take a quick swig of lemonade. We're ready to roll. Again, the NBA Finals, it looks like it's going to be Golden State that fall behind as Boston is slowly but surely putting this game away. 14-0 run. That's pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. Golden State had a lead in the fourth quarter. Oh, my goodness. Marcus Smart just hit another three. It's a 17-0 run for Boston and this one's over. 14-point game with 140 to go. That's it. They just showed the three-point numbers in the fourth. Golden State has shot one of six from threes. God, Steph Curry just missed a bunny in the lane. And Boston's hit nine of 11 from three. They just can't miss at the moment from three. It's it's really carried over from the Miami series. I mean, that was the big difference in the Eastern Conference Finals and last time we were talking, it was going into a game six where it appeared that, you know, Miami was kind of up against the ropes and kind of weren't sure where it was going to lead for Miami going to Boston. However, 
Jimmy Butler, I think he scored 47 points in game six. I think that ties a Heat franchise record for an elimination game or maybe even surpassed it. I think of the LeBron performance in Boston in game six when the big three era was in full effect. But it's one of those things where the Miami Heat were against, their backs were against the wall. Jimmy Butler bails them out in game six. And to be fair, you know, game seven in Miami, now you're thinking, man, maybe the Heat are going to steal this back and win the series. However, through three quarters plus, Boston thoroughly outplayed Miami in game seven. They nearly threw it away, I will add, as well. I think I think Boston had an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter, and they nearly gave it all back in Game 7. Some just boneheaded decision-making by the likes of Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown basically opened the door up for Miami to get back into it. Max Struess hit a ridiculously tough three, I think with 15 seconds left to get it down to one. Actually, there might have been more time on the clock than that. But he hit a big three late, final seconds, to give Miami a big chance. However, the big moment was Boston had a chance to kind of seal it. They missed another shot at the other end. Jimmy Butler in transition, I think with like 12 seconds left, pulled up for a three that would have given Miami the lead with about nine seconds left. I think if it went in, something like that. I My time's not spot on, but it's roughly about you know, around that point would have given Miami the lead very late on with one, one possession left in the game, essentially. And Butler missed the shot. You know, I think, uh, it was the most controversial decision of the entire series potentially because Miami would have tied with a two in that moment. And they would have gone ahead with a three and there was plenty of time for Jimmy Butler to get to the rim. The the lane was basically wide open. If he had gotten past, I beg your pardon, maybe Al Horford on the perimeter. I don't remember who got back first, but to be fair, Al Horford could have blocked his shot, but Jimmy Butler could have potentially gotten fouled and gone to the free throw line or made a bucket to tie the game. He goes for everything. He shoves his chips in the middle, says I'm all in, and bricks it on the river. And in the end, a little poker thing there. Bricks it on the river, and Boston survived in Game 7. It was a great series, to be fair, between those two. I just want to say this. You know, I kind of, you know, watching the game live, I think I thought what maybe many of you thought initially, which was what in God's name is Jimmy Butler doing, right? That was kind of my first thought when he put up the shot. Because I, I when I looked down, when Miami got the ball back, my first thought was, is there a shot clock? Because if there's no shot clock, you got to hold it for the last shot. That, that was my first thought. Then I remembered what the score was. <laughs> I remembered what the score uh, what the score in the game was. Miami was um, was down by two. You got to go, right? You got to just get the bucket quickly as you know as quick as you can, especially because it was in transition. Boston's defense was stretched. You got to go to the bucket in my opinion. Looking back now, I mean, you look at the analytics, right? And to be fair, if Jimmy Butler made the shot, I think I think Miami's win probability would have shot up to something like 75%. And if he makes it two, it's like 44%, give or take a few percentage points. So analytically, you're looking at it and you're like, oh, maybe that was the right choice. Because Boston could have gone right back up and scored the other way. But if you, if you take the lead there, 
maybe it's a different story, right? But if it's tied, Boston's thinking, well, we, we got overtime in our back pocket. Let's just, let's hold and go for the last shot. Whereas if you're up by one, now Boston's got to hurry. Now their season's on the line. They got to go and they might make a mistake. So that that's playing devil's advocate. Let me be very clear. The real reason that I look back on it and I feel like it was a questionable decision by Jimmy Butler to a certain extent. And to be fair, to be fair, right? Jimmy Butler has every right to make the decision. Let's get that out of the way. There's no way the Heat are even in game seven if Jimmy Butler doesn't play as well as he's played in that series, right? So he has every right to have the ball there. He has every right to decide Miami's fate. He has every right to take that shot. And I think Eric Spolster said as much after the game. Jimmy Butler is the only man on this Miami Heat team that could, you know, stick his hand up and say, give me the damn ball, I'm making the decision. And Eric Spolster has, I mean, they've gotten into fights this season, and Eric Spolster threw a clipboard, that whole brouhaha. But Eric Spolster still has faith, plenty of faith in Jimmy Butler, and I'm sure would not disagree with that, and didn't at least post-game. He said, we had every confidence that shot was going to go in, and we were fine with Jimmy Butler taking the shot, to paraphrase what he said. And I agree. However, the only thing that really, looking back, makes me think, what the hell were you thinking? Miami shot 31% from three as a team for the entire series. Let me repeat that. As a team for the entire seven-game series... Miami shot 31% from three. During the regular season, they were the best three-point shooting team in the NBA for a good chunk of it. But in the postseason, it started to go a little bit down in the Philly series, but it really plummeted against Boston. That's that in that in that, you know, when you look at it in that scope, that was kind of the difference in the series. Boston shot the lights out of it from three. Miami were really bad from three. Arguably the worst they've been in multiple seasons from three. I mean, that's how bad we're talking. They were like mid to lower part of the NBA bad at the worst possible time. You know, I mean, the worst possible time. Do you really want to die on your sword by taking a three there? That's kind of where I go back and I go, it hasn't worked this series. You, you can't make threes against this team. I get it was open, but it was in transition. You had a better look at the rim. My only thought, and again, I, I don't blame Jimmy Butler for taking the shot. I get it. But my whole, my only thing when I rethink it is, did you have a, like, did you have a second thought? It's like, we haven't been making these, you know? We should get the two and, and, and rely on our defense to get this thing to overtime. That's kind of where I just went, oh man. When I read that stat, I just immediately thought, oh boy. Do you is that how you want to fall on your sword at the end of the season? You know, relying on the on the thing that didn't help you stay in this series to try and win you the series, that doesn't normally work out too well in the NBA. It's gone final, by the way. Game one, 120 to 108. Boston wins at Golden State in game one, setting up a crucial 
game two for Golden State, a, a game that they have to win to even things up before we go to TD Garden for games three and four. So that's going to be a very big game. Credit to Boston. I was just looking through some of the stats. I mean, the fourth quarter was really the difference in the game. I mean, Golden State controlled the game for the majority of it. I mean, this game, I mean, looking through, I mean, the third quarter. Remember when I first brought up the point in which the game was at, you know, as far as where we were at in the game, Golden State was up by 12. Golden State had a 12-point lead going into the fourth quarter. And Boston outscored Golden State on their home floor 40-16 to in the fourth quarter to take game one of the NBA Finals. So Golden State just took a big old haymaker from the Boston Celtics. And now we await to see if Steve Kerr's boys can get off the mat. That's a big win for Ime Udoka in his first season as a head coach getting Boston to the NBA Finals. Kudos to him amazing stuff but now he's a game up on golden state incredible we'll see if they can keep it up in game two but that is a crucial win for the golden state warriors all right uh just to wrap up the 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 jimmy butler thing one last thing i want to mention about it miami i i I think that miami's post-mortem is very simple i thought they were the best team in the east for the regular season i think they earned the one seed no question about that, but but I think in the NBA playoffs, they really got hurt by injuries. I think injuries hit them hard at the worst possible time, especially involving Jimmy Butler in this series. And I think in the end, you know, you can look at the threes and things like that. That definitely was a contributing factor to the downfall of Miami. However, I really think injuries was the final nail in Miami's coffin. They just couldn't, you know rely on the same amount of depth that they had during the regular season and, and earlier in the postseason, frankly. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where I fall on it. I, I think in the end, uh, Boston earned it, but it, if Miami was at full strength or anywhere close to it, uh, I think they win the series. I think it's very clear. But like we said, you know, and I was thinking about this the other day, you know, talking with a couple of buddies and just looking back at previous NBA playoffs, these are breaks that teams get every year. Remember everyone was saying this about Phoenix last year. Well, they, they everyone was hurt. Well, you know what? Them's the breaks. <laughs> Them's the breaks. You know, you play who's in front of you, and you can't knock what Boston has done. They've earned it. They've gotten out of the East, and they're one game up in the NBA Finals. Heck of a run for Miami this season. They'll be a factor uh, next season, no question. Uh, a lot of people, I'll just say this because I'm down in South Florida for work. A lot of people want Kyle Lowry out. A lot of people are tired of Kyle Lowry not showing up in the postseason. Kind of can't blame them. Didn't really have a great series when it mattered most. So we'll see if that is a an, an issue moving forward for Eric Spolster's group. But for right now... They've got an Eastern Conference Finals uh, elimination to bounce back from, and we'll see where Miami and and the likes of Milwaukee, who have already been eliminated, will be going into the draft and then going into next season. All right, a little bit more draft fodder for you before we wrap things up this week on the podcast. Um, It involves the Brooklyn Nets, believe it or not, and 
just an odd situation, in my opinion, that we are dealing with. It involves the James Harden trade. Uh, obviously, James Harden was swapped with Ben Simmons uh, earlier this season. As part of that deal, the Nets had the 23rd pick in this year's draft that they got to uh, got from, I should say, the Philadelphia 76ers in that exchange. And now the Nets have officially renounced the 23rd pick back to the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, who uh, reported it earlier on this Thursday. Um, just an odd situation, in my opinion. Uh, this was the last day that the, actually, I'm sorry, the, the, the news was originally reported, I beg your pardon, on Wednesday, not Thursday, by Woj. Um, they, they had to let the know, the league know by Wednesday, basically, whether or not they were going to keep the pick, and they decide not to, to do it, essentially. Um, they're deferring the pick at 23 to the 2023 draft. So let me be very clear. They don't lose the pick, but they lose the pick for this year's draft. Does that make sense? Let me, I'll I'll, I'll try to explain that a little bit better. The Nets had some wiggle room here as part of the deal. And they had to make the decision by Wednesday whether or not to use that first round pick in this year's draft or in a future draft, next year's draft. So in the end, the Brooklyn Nets said, you know what? We're not going to take the 23rd pick in this year's draft. We'll take a first-round pick from Philly in next year's draft. That's basically what that means. It's interesting for two reasons. <laughs> Number one, the Nets, I guess, didn't like anybody enough in this draft. I mean, let's be honest. The Brooklyn Nets are basically allergic to draft picks. Back to the KG Paul Pierce days. I mean, they just don't care. They just want the biggest stars, then they'll fill in the the blanks after. But it's just a little odd, especially considering how much Brooklyn gave up to make this happen. I mean, I know Philly gave up quite a bit as well. But Brooklyn, you know, did have to get rid of some pretty good pieces to make this deal happen. And obviously James Harden being the most notable. And you get a first-round pick. Why are we deferring? Don't you want to get back something that could help you out for next seat? I mean, I guess not. I mean, that's obviously... The answer is obviously no, but it's just an odd one for me because Brooklyn needs to to make up the numbers here. They got to move some pieces around and they've got to get some depth on this team. A late first-round pick could could very much help in that department. But again, I mean, to be fair, to, to look at the history for Brooklyn, they just they just go through free agency. They go through trades. They just, they swing for the fences. They really don't like to build through the draft. I mean, they, they, anybody that they've drafted, if they've drafted anybody recently, they normally trade them anyway. Uh, I think Jared Allen is a good example of that. So it's frustrating. I know many Brooklyn Nets fans that I'm sure won't like that. They don't like the way this team is being run in certain regards. And again, after another like legitimate failure of a season, I think it's very, very easy to say that, right? I mean, the biggest thing for next season is how is Ben Simmons going to fit on this team? But the next part is the Nets need depth. The Nets need some depth at multiple positions 
the draft is a is a good place to look for that. And I guess they're just not concerned, and they should be, in my opinion. I'm a rival fan. You know, I don't want the Nets to succeed. You know, but you just look from an objective standpoint. You're like, don't you need reinforcements? Shouldn't you be looking in the draft to to see if you can get some depth? And it's not going to be that expensive. It's a late first round pick. I mean. That's kind of where I go, and I just think, oh my gosh, Brooklyn just neglecting an opportunity here to potentially improve the roster, you know, potentially for the long term as well, depending on, on who they pick. I mean, I was looking at the, the mock drafts earlier and, you know, who could, you know, who could be in that spot potentially, and I guess Philly would get the 23rd pick now for this draft, but there's options here. You know, I, I was I was initially looking at somebody like a Kendall Brown out of Baylor, maybe even uh, Christian Braun, a shooting guard out of Kansas, or uh, Jaden Hardy, a G League two guard, or, or Usman Dang, a, a wing player out of France. You know, those are I mean, Walker Kessler for some size out of Auburn. I mean, these are the kind of guys I thought. I'm just thinking. If if the Knicks want, I should say the, the Nets. If the Nets want some backcourt help, there's options there. If the, they want to get some size, which they desperately need down low, there's options there too. I mean, there's guys here. When you look at the next couple of years of this team, that could be impact players potentially for Brooklyn. But in the end, they they say no, and uh, they'll they'll try it again in 2023. Now, again, the easy answer could be, you know what, the Nets didn't feel it. They didn't like anybody in the draft in this in this area that they would be picking, and they said, you know what, we'll look at next year's class. Maybe there's some guys there we can we can get. But I just look at the the team for next season, and I, and I immediately think this team needs depth. They need as many bodies as they can get on this team, and I get it. You know, you can you can figure it out in other ways and Brooklyn will will do it but it's just so it's so odd to me when when Brooklyn passes up some of these opportunities to improve their team and again you know you gave up James Harden in this trade and got some good pieces back but some guys that you know you need to get some depth behind at a, at a few different positions I, I think this is pretty obvious at this point based on the way that they were kind of yeah, it was competitive, but they were they were thoroughly beaten by Boston in the first round. They were swept aside. Again, the games were close, but Boston showed that they were the better team with everyone but Ben Simmons ready to go. So I think, I think the Nets maybe missed a chance there to really improve the team, and and now we wait to see what they'll do during the offseason. Their, their offseason is as intriguing as anybody's because of how Ben Simmons will fit in and then how they're going to add on to this team because they need to make changes. I think it's very clear that this team's not good enough to win a championship. So we'll see. We will see what happens. That's been the theme of the, the show. I apologize for that. I think I've said we will see 20 times this episode, if not more. But it's one of those things, right? It's one of those things where the Nets have, you know, a lot of things to address and – you know, you, you miss out on an opportunity to, to build for the future a little bit while, you know, filling in a piece that could help you get to a championship and the Nets neglect and, and, and worry about it for next year. It's very odd, very odd in my opinion. But can't, can't say it's not par for the course for a team that has neglected the draft for almost a decade. So 
to be fair, that 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 should be mentioned. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening. Uh, for those that get the podcast uh, right from the source, uh, the podcast will be posted a little bit later tonight uh, before it fully comes out on postingandtoasting.com. That is because, of course, we're recording late for the end of Game 1 of the NBA Finals that sees Boston win by 12 and go up one game to nothing. So I apologize for a little bit of a delay on that. Other than that, things are good as no, good as usual. It's the same thing. We're going to talk more draft next week, and we'll talk more finals next week. Until then, have a great week, and we'll see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.